This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This podcast is Shareable. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard, commonly known as the world's most handsome strategist and professional speaker. I'm also a superhero. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single Shareable episode. And that's it. That's the intro. Short and sweet. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to Shareable. My guest today is Steve Cesari. He's been a trusted advisor to entrepreneurs and nonprofits for over 40 years. And he's a best-selling author, speaker, consultant, and fulfillment expert. I am absolutely thrilled to have Steve on the show today. I've done a lot of background research on you, Steve, and I feel like we're going to have a really amazing conversation today. So welcome to Shareable. Well, uh, thank you, Jeff. Honored to be here and excited to, uh, again, hopefully share some, uh, some wisdom from uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of some of my life experiences. So excited to be on the show today and, and, and ready, to, uh, ready to kick it off. Awesome, man. Well, I want to start at a place that um, is, I know, very near and dear to both of our hearts. Uh, most of what I have on my list of stuff to talk about today is stuff that we share uh, as kind of core values, beliefs, uh, ways of operating in the world. And I want to start with entrepreneurialism because I, I heard you speak a little bit and you talked a little bit about the fact that you kind of had to become an entrepreneur because it was almost like you didn't have a choice in the matter. And that resonated so hard with me. And I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to Shareable, this same idea will resonate. What does it mean to you to be an entrepreneur? And where do you think, um, how do you think you fell into that path? It, it kind of retelling, setting you up for, for what you had talked about before. Yeah, well, uh, I grew up in a family of eight. My dad was a restaurateur, had his first heart attack when he was 39, uh, and they told him he had to do something less stressful. So he got into uh, grocery retail <laughs> and worked 80 hours a week. Uh, I was one of eight kids. So, I mean, it was like organized. I, I wouldn't even say organized, disorganized chaos. Uh, but I knew from an early age, just, I guess, being around my dad, working in the store, uh, you know, doing all of the things that we did as kids, we really were taught a good work ethic because we had to do it. We were, you know, didn't, weren't born with silver spoons in our mouth. So I knew from an early age, I wanted to be in business for myself, had no idea what that looked like. Went to college, uh, played sports, played football, um, and, and I studied business. Uh, and, and I like to joke and tell people, you know, I was a strong C minus student. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't really in college to uh, learn. I was in college to play football and drink beer. Uh, but anyway, when I graduated, you know, my, my first couple jobs were working for other people. Uh, I remember one of my first jobs, my brother-in-law worked for IBM and, and I went in and I was not a button down IBM person. Uh, and, and I did it actually as part of a work study program. And it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And I guess what I found out was number one, I'm not a cubicle person. I cannot sit in an office in a cubicle and stare at a computer. Uh, number two, my, my, my next three jobs, literally working for uh, uh, startup companies, uh, working for a retail sporting good chain. Uh, I got fired from my next three jobs with basically I, I got fired. And so I, I, I knew from the get go, I didn't have any choice, but to be an entrepreneur because I just had a real difficult time working for other people. I always felt like I could do it better. I always felt like, um, I knew more than they did, but I didn't have the confidence to stand up and say it, but I would just kind of push back in my own way. And, 
and I never forget the third time I got fired is when literally I had been working for this company. I had equity in it. Um, the vice president of operations was just, you know, not a nice guy. Uh, the, the guy that started it was from Texas. I'm not going to name any names. And basically, uh, they opened up six stores in Atlanta. I was their general manager of the first one, and they used me to train the other people. Then he opened up six stores in Dallas because that's where he was from. The six stores in, in, in Atlanta were profitable. The six in uh, Dallas uh, sucked the cash flow. Long story short, they went into bankruptcy. Uh, I, you know, I, I started a business with my brother, Rick, uh, while I was working for them and literally hated every minute of it. Uh, and, and, and this is the God's honest truth. I, I, I was praying, God, show, show me what you want me to do here. My brother kept saying, look, I got this business running. I was financing it from Atlanta. He was out in Seattle. He goes, I need you in Seattle. You need to come out. Uh, and literally, uh, I, I, I walk in the office one day, Jeff, and the vice president of operations uh, says to me, Steve, uh, we don't need you anymore. You're fired. And I mean, I ran out the door so fast. I ran home, told my wife. Hey, honey, God answered the prayer, got on the plane the next day, went out the flew out to Seattle. And that was the genesis of starting Trillium Health Products, the marketers of the Juice Man Juicer. So again, a lot of people get into entrepreneurism for different reasons. I got there because I had no choice because I got fired from my first three jobs. So it's I hope that answered that, the question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, uh, you're, um, you're from a team of eight kids. I'm an only child, but there's a similarity there that I, so I you always use the term psychologically unemployable because I had the same <laughs> sort of like, I felt like anytime I, I got into uh, a job where like I had a boss and, and I was working for somebody else, I felt like uh, it was like one of those, um, like, you know, the disarming the bomb scenes inside of a, you know, in a movie where like there was a countdown that was happening. It was like, well, how long until this whole thing blows up in my face? So yeah. I, I very much fell into entrepreneurism, entrepreneurialism through this, through this similar kind of mechanism of like, well, I didn't really have a chance of anything else I could be as successful at. But I think in the world of entrepreneurs, there's a lot of different motivations of why people want to go into business for themselves. I think some of them, like it sounds like we uh, fell into this, was a bit about having the autonomy, the freedom to kind of choose our own destiny and, and that side of things. Some people really get into it for the money. They have this idea of like, you know, uh, forming a unicorn company, having the kind of success that, that you uh, fell into with the Juice Man products and all of that. Um, so would you say that any of your interest in working for yourself early on had anything to do with what you saw your career wanting to be like outside of the sort of the lack of being in a structured authority situation? Yeah, I, I, I again, uh, and I'm going to go back to school because when I was in grade school growing up, uh, I used to always get blamed for it, whether I did it or not. So I figured I may as well do it if I'm going to get blamed for it. So I'm real big on asking forgiveness and not permission. And it was kind of the same way in, in you know, in the business world. It was like I gravitated to it because I, it, that that was, you know, what was in my heart. I was surrounded uh, by people and literally, you know, one of my, my 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 best learning experiences was one of my worst business environments. Um working for a sporting good uh, outfit where the two principals basically would bring on a third partner uh, who was typically a relative. Well, they ran out of relatives. One of the guys was an Italiano, I'm Italian. So I was the first non-family member as a partner. And, and basically their mantra was, if you do as I do and play by our rules, you too can write off a 308 
fire engine red uh, you know, Ferrari uh, on the business. And, and literally, it, it, it's like by playing by their rules meant I had to break everybody else's. And so I, I just had this burning desire that I wanted to be in control of my destiny to be able to take my value system and incorporate it into a business environment and create a culture where, where that would have a positive ripple effect through the other people that I work with. So I, I, again, I, I, you know, one of my favorite quotes is everything we experience in life prepares us for what we're gonna do next. And I mean, that's the good, the bad and the ugly. And, 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 and really, I think um, we learn more going through our failures. And to me, it's not a failure unless you keep doing it over again, it's just part of the part of the process of gaining wisdom. So you know what to do the next time and do it better. And if I always tell people, if you haven't failed, you really haven't pushed the envelope or the comfort zone to really get outside of what you know and do something that might be a little more challenging for you. Yeah. So, I remember you know, my, that's how, you know, I was going to say, I remember my business coach said to me, uh, I was telling him about my amazing close record. So like I, I had been closing sales at about 80% of opportunities that came through. And he was like, do you think that's good? He's like, it's not about the, it's not about the rate. That just means to me that you're not taking enough risks. You're not shooting for big enough opportunities where you would fail some more. And I was like, wow, I never really thought of that. I was so proud of my close rate. It was like feeding my yeah. ego that, oh, wow, I close all these deals. And instead he was giving me a different lens to look through that. I actually needed to be taking more risks and have more people say no, so that I could actually push the limits of, of what I was capable of accomplishing there. Yeah. And that's so true. And, and, and again, the, uh, the kind of the way I like to say it is I know what I know, but I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And, and most of, you know, most of my success uh, in life came when I realized I needed to surround myself with people that were a lot smarter than me uh, and, and started doing that. And, and, you know, when you do that, you kind of have to check your ego at the door uh, and open up and trust. And again, I love, you know, what, what Lou Holtz, uh, the famous football coach from Notre Dame, he used to have three questions that he would ask prospective coaches and players. Uh, are you familiar with Lou Holtz? You, I am familiar. I'm not familiar yeah, with okay. the three questions. So I'm, a, yeah, I'm appreciating uh, adding new questions to yeah. my library. Oh uh, yeah. Well, well, it, number one is, can I trust you? Number two, do you care about me? And number three, are you committed to excellence? And if the answer to any one of those questions was no, he would not go and, and bring that person on campus. And, and they're, they're great questions because literally, Jeff, you know, when you meet somebody, either consciously or subconsciously, I think we're asking those same questions. You know, can I trust that person? Uh, do they care about me and are they committed to excellence? Uh, and people are asking the same thing about us as well when they meet us. Uh, you know, even your listeners on this show are going to be like, well, why should I listen to Steve? Why should I listen to Jeff? You know, can I trust them? Do they care about me? Are they committed to excellence? And again, your track record, not just a one-off situation dictates, well, the answer to all those questions is yes. So, uh, you know, to me, and that's still a barometer for me, if I'm going to be working with somebody or collaborating with somebody, I'm asking those questions point blank and really understanding who these people are that I surround myself with, because I'm sure, as you know, the people we surround ourselves with are doing one or two things. They're either lifting us up and moving us closer to the people we want to become, or they're dragging us down and moving us away from the people we want to become. And here's the catch. There's no neutral ground. They're either givers or takers. That's how I classify all people. And you know, I know within 30 seconds, if I'm sitting down 
and 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 the person I'm talking to is a taker, and 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 I'll shut the conversation down. And I've, I have about a 95% success rate, and I really try to surround myself with people that are givers because that's what I like to do. I like to give, but I I give to a select group of people, uh, not just everybody. So does that make sense? Yeah, it all makes sense, and I really yeah. appreciate those uh, you sharing those three questions from Lou Holtz because. Um, I don't know if, uh, if um, in our correspondence prior to this, I told you, but I have a book coming out in January called The Lovable Leader. And the three principles of lovable leadership are trust, care, and safe travels. Safe travels is about setting up uh, you know, an ambitious destination, but ensuring that there's safety along the way. So essentially yeah. excellence, but with safety on the way to excellence. So trust, care, and safe excellence, basically. So yeah. me and Lou Holtz, the great Lou Holtz, are uh, aligned in our leadership philosophies. Uh, so that means really- that means that see, see, so that means you're dis- uh, you're destined for greatness, which you're uh, already doing. So uh, thank yeah, God, congrats. I've been hoping so. <laughs> so um, so when so when, when when's this new book come out? Uh, January twenty fifth, twenty twenty two. So depending upon great. the release of this episode, it will either just be coming out, it'll be out uh, very soon, or it, it will have been just out. Um, uh, I'm very excited about it. It's my, it's my, uh, and you've written a book clarity, which we're going to talk about uh, in a bit, but as you know, writing a book, it, it, it's a really big project and, uh, it's a big undertaking. And, you know, I was really worried because I'm, I'm sure, uh, you've experienced this in your entrepreneurial life, but a lot of the times as an entrepreneur, I feel like we do things. And then when we're done with it, we're, we kind of almost like disregard it and move on to the next thing. Right? We don't take a lot of time to appreciate and celebrate our wins. We're always looking for how could I have done it better? How could it have been a bigger success? And then move on to the next thing. And my book, I have to say, is one of the first things that I've ever done where after I read through the proof and we're almost you know, ready to, to submit it for, uh, for publishing and everything, uh, I looked through it and I was like, wow, this is actually a really, really good book. And I'm actually really, really proud of this, like genuinely, unreservedly. And that's that's rare because again, most of the time I look back and I think, oh, it was good, but here's how it could have been better. And here's how I could have improved it and this and that. But this is one where I'm just, I'm just really proud of it. Yeah. Well, well, and again, going back to another one of my favorite quotes, done is better than perfect. When yeah. you have a labor of love like that, you know, you can go ready, 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 you know, and, and I'm a ready fire then aim type a guy i like to get real world feedback yeah so again i'm real real big because you know there's so much uh paralysis by analysis out there in the entrepreneurial world and to me i always encourage people i work with okay let's go get a real world test let's get some proof of concept let's get some you know we all sit in a room uh and 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 have a conversation about what we think is going to work and i give you an example i think you might have heard it in, in the talk i did about the george foreman grill well you know, we're all sitting there, you know, guys in a room. Oh, well, let's get George Foreman and put him in his heavyweight belt and put him on TV and, you know, have him make a fist and say, knock out the fat from 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 the, the George Foreman grill. And when we spent the first half million dollars and analyzed it, it was a bomb. And it was like, OK, what's going on here? And so we went back and, and, and we did some, uh, you know, analytics weren't real big uh, way back when. But we went out and said, OK, who's our listening audience? And 80 percent of them were women. So we went back, we took George, we took him out of the ring, we put him in a kitchen, we took off his heavyweight belt, we put him in an apron, we gave him a female co-host named Sherry Kelbaum, who also wrote several books for us. She was a nutritionist. And six months later, this thing's doing a couple million dollars a month and off to, you know, to be one of the biggest and best retail products that ever happened. But again, the point that we get there is, is you need the real world feedback. And, and again, 
my branding and marketing basic, simple message to everybody out there, know your target audience and what's the message that resonates with them. And the only way you find that is by test and analyze, test and analyze, test and analyze. So, uh, uh, you know, we still do it to this day. Obviously infomercials aren't the vehicle. Uh, there's so many on digital and social, but the concepts are exactly the same. How do you break through the noise? How do you present your unique selling proposition, whether it's you as a person, uh, a service or a product so that you connect with the right target audience with the uh, message that resonates with them. So uh, again, yeah. great lessons learned along the way. Yeah, and absolutely. I think this is also a good point for us to, to kind of pivot to talk a little bit about this idea of clarity, because this is something that both you and I share a real uh, passion and interest in, right? So I do a lot of work in branding, a lot of work in marketing and sales, uh, as well as leadership and culture, and how to tie all of those things together. And I think in, no matter what you're doing, whether it's in any of those areas of business, or whether it's even just in like the balance between your professional and your uh, and your uh, personal life, having clarity about what you're doing and then more importantly, why you're doing it, the why that's behind it, I think is super essential. So I know that that's uh, at least somewhat aligned or mostly aligned with, uh, with your vision of things, but you wrote this book, Clarity, and you talk a lot about the importance of being clear about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Can you talk a little bit about um, first where that idea was birthed from? Like how did, where, where did the inspiration to share this um, idea and to, and to talk about it and, and fill it out in a book, where did that come from? And then can you clarify a little bit about what you mean about clarity and, and it's sure. importance? Sure. Sure. Great, great question. Um, well, growing up most of my life for probably my first 30 or so years, I didn't have a lot of clarity. I flew by the seat of my pants. I was a, uh, a, a decent athlete. So doors just opened up because you're an athlete and you got some physical skills. Uh, and then uh, my senior year in college, I got hit in the head, knocked out on the opening kickoff against our arch rival, Boston University, and had uh, in the hospital for a week, total amnesia and never played football again. Now, all of a sudden, something I did for my whole life was gone. I got up every day to be able to go out and, and excel on the athletic field. And now that was gone. And I was like, what the heck am I going to do? I'm never going to find anything that is going to motivate me as much as football did. And even though I was in uh, you know, college studying for business, I, I took a medical leave of absence for a year and a half, uh, went out, uh, did some work and came back a year and a half later and finished school. And so I, I, again, I went back to those childhood feelings of knowing that I want to be in business for myself and, 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 and the clarity as I put that together uh, started to unfold. I didn't know exactly what it looked like. And so because I struggled so much with uh, having clarity in my own life, Jeff, I started looking and reading uh, other books that were out there. Uh, I started accumulating quotes. I started accumulating stories. I had them in a folder and I would say collected them for 10 years. Okay. I had a book inside me for probably 15 years, but there was a problem. Um, I was very clear. I was not a very good writer. I remember I was a strong C minus student. And I was like, how am I going to write a book? If number one, I don't have the patience to sit down and you know what it takes. I mean, it is a, yeah. a, 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 a discipline that you have to ingrain and do it, but here's what's really cool. Okay. What I found out was, you know, for everything that you and I don't like to do, there's somebody else that does 
and they do it better than you and I do. And, and I found somebody was introduced to somebody that had a, what they call a write your book program. So literally I had uh, sat down in sessions like this. We had uh, 18 two hour sessions where I would talk, they would transcribe. Uh, and that's how that book was birthed. And again, my stories, my quotes, my voice, but somebody else did the heavy lifting. So again, I could stay focused on my high payback activities. And that's, that's one of the things that kind of evolved, you know, with the book is, is working with a former coach uh, who is now a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, we actually ended up in business, our coaching bit practice together here in Atlanta. And he really helped uh, me understand what my genius was, you know, what I'm most passionate about and what I do really well. He helped me to kind of uh, encapsulate all the thoughts going through my head and, and kind of focus on what we call high payback activities. Uh, and, and, and typically, this is what I do when I work with clients. What are your top three to five? If I was working with you, I'd do the same thing. And a high payback activity is defined as the three to five things you do on a daily basis that help create the results that you get compensated for, or the three to five things you do on a daily basis to help you move closer to fulfilling the vision or mission of your company. And what happens is, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you have a to-do list of, of 150 things. And so literally what we try to do is get people to really get clarity by focusing on the three to five things that are going to move the needle and, and create the results that they want. So literally, I went from a big void of don't have a clue. Uh, I surrounded myself with some really great mentors and people that poured into me and taught me uh, how to focus and gain clarity. And then uh, sat down and brought the book and all of my stuff together that had been sitting in files for 10 or 15 years. And, and that was the genesis. And then you also talked about, you know, the, the, the why. And again, another favorite quote, if your why isn't big enough, your what doesn't matter. And I get goosebumps thinking about this. Uh, you know, my book was a lot about educating people about good health and proper nutrition. Uh, had, that was the whole fact that the first chapter was you were, we're all terminal, don't accelerate the process. And my why behind that was my dad died in my arms on the way to the hospital from a second heart attack when I was 13 years old. And I didn't ever want anybody to feel the way I felt and grow up. My dad never got to see me play football. My dad didn't see my kids or my grand. He probably sees them from up above. But again, it just ripped my heart out. And that was my compelling reason. That was the impetus to start Trillium Health Products, uh, to help people live the healthiest lifestyle they could so they wouldn't have to feel like I felt when I lost my dad. And, and literally everything I do uh, and everybody I work with if they don't have a compelling reason why they must why they must succeed, you know who's going to be blessed by what they do? What's at stake if they don't succeed and go out and 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 live the dream that that that, that they want to accomplish? And, and and you know this, Jeff. Everybody has dreams like you and I do. And 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 somebody even asked, well, Steve, what's the difference between the people that realize their dreams and the people that don't? And this is real profound. Listen to this now. This is in my book. <laughs> the people that do do and the people that don't don't it's as simple as that the people that take action that take the dream out of their head put it on paper have a compelling reason why and then go out and make it happen and again i'm going to throw another uh, one of my favorite quotes john wooden i'm going old school with all these quotes I john wooden Classics. says don't 
yeah, John Wooden says, don't let what you can't do stop you from doing what you can do. And I think so many people get stopped the first time they get a challenge. And, and let me tell you, if it was easy, and you know this, everybody would do it. But that's the whole goal is like, how do you find a way to tunnel over that obstacle, a tunnel around it, find somebody else who's already been there and can help coach you through the process. And, and, and so, you know, that, that, that's kind of my philosophy. And that's kind of the genesis of where clarity came from. And I'm actually working on book number two now. Um, it's just a working title. I'm not sure. I'm gonna, I've been getting a little pushback on it, but it's called uh, Get Effed Up, The Five F's to Finding Fulfillment. Uh, and, and it's a, you know, faith plus family, plus friends, plus finance, plus fitness equals fulfillment. And, and, and what I've found is that if any one of those components are missing, that people are less fulfilled in their life. And I'm working with a couple of clients right now that have high eight digit net worth and, and, and are struggling on the relationship side and are struggling on how do I find joy? And, and literally it's pretty simple. We, put all their stuff on a whiteboard. And I ask again, I got three more questions for you. Uh, <laughs> number one, will this relationship or opportunity bring more joy or more stress to my life? And again, stress is something, you know, inevitable sometimes when you do stuff. But what I find a lot of times people make decisions and with toxic relationships and toxic partners that create stress in their life. Question number two, will this relationship or opportunity move me closer or farther away from the person I'm striving to become at home, at work, and in the community. And there's a big difference. It's not just, you know, will this help me make money? Will this help me make a better dad? Will I be a better person? Uh, will I be a better person at work? Will this create more joy or more stress? And will it help me move closer to becoming the person I want to become at home, at work, and in the community? And, and, and again, I, I, that's a big differentiator for me. And I have home first because I've seen lots of people that get all the success, but then leave a trail of broken relationships at home. And I'm not judging people for, you know, going through a tough relationship. But at the same time, I think people can be intentional and specific about choosing to be present in all the things they have to do. And then finally, the third question, uh, will this relationship or opportunity move me closer or farther away from achieving my financial goals? And, and then when people put everything they do through those filters, it gives them a pretty clear picture of whether they should be moving forward or moving away for it. And again, a lot of times people will do it even though they violate some of those questions. And it always seems to come back and bite them on the backside by robbing their joy, robbing their fulfillment or creating issues that cause stress, you know, at home at work and in the family. So Again, there's three more questions for you. I don't have any I love more it. questions. I love it. This is, this is great because I feel like, um, you know, as a, you know, I'm hosting this, but I'm, I'm picturing myself as a listener of this episode. And it's like going back through this and just capturing all the different questions and the different, um, you know, lenses to look through about, you know, where we're going in our lives, I think is really helpful. I appreciate you sharing that story about your father and how that helped to drive your purpose, because uh, I've shared on this podcast before, I actually have a, a similar story. Uh, not not quite as tragic, but still equally stressful and traumatic. But um, what I always use as my example of where my purpose comes from uh, is that on my last day of high school, my mother got into a tragic car accident and um, she spent eight hours in the operating room, got like nine pints of blood. They saved her life. She spent you know two, three weeks in a coma, went through rehab. Her life was never the same. 
And between that and, and the fact that my father was a funeral director, so I was around death through, through my whole life, basically, I, I really was struck by the fragility of life and the, the fact that you don't know when your number is going to get called and you don't know how much time you have. And it was for that reason that I am constantly questioning, what is my life going to mean? What is the impact I'm going to leave behind? And I think it comes out of a lot of that trauma and, and several other different things. Um, so I was really struck by your story there and how uh, how aligned we are on kind of the source of you know tragedy in many ways being sort of the birth of that uh, that yeah. purpose. the The second thing was is that your story about um, and and you're you're talking about the difficulty in finding focus and clarity. Uh, I resonate with so much because as someone who has ADHD, all through high school, I felt very much like a failure. Not because I did poorly in school, I could always pretty much ace tests, but I didn't do busy work very well. So I was kind of like a, yeah. I was kind of a solid B student, B minus student, because I was really more there for social connections, making friends. Um, and, and I just, I wanted to know about things, but I didn't necessarily want to do the work. Right. So, so struggling with being neurodiverse in my life, um, I really appreciate when you used the word genius because I think people are often very reluctant to talk about what they're good at. And it wasn't until much later in my life that I could actually appreciate that I had certain skills, things that I was really good at, where I didn't have to be good at all the things that I was supposed to be good at in school, but I could be good at the things that I'm good at and be really good at them and then find other people to help me there, which I think was part of what allowed me to eventually get to a point where I got interested in human potential and how to scale and grow that. And part of that is through learning through your failures, but also learning where your genius zone is and what you should trust other people. I know you talk a lot about growing human potential, a lot of what you're coaching people on your, uh, the success and all of the coaching program and everything that you do is around helping people see what's possible and live the life that they want, have the business that they want. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you, uh, you've, you've given a little bit of a, a glimpse into it with some of the questions, but I, I was hoping you could go a little bit deeper on the six Fs and, um, you know, as sort of the point for us to wrap up on this episode is to go a little deeper into what it takes to unlock human potential. What are those things that you see as being most critical that you use for yourself and you help your clients with? Yeah. Uh, great questions. And again, we could talk for hours on this. Uh, I, I mean, there's just so many things, uh, uh, you know, entrepreneurs on fire, you know, John Lee Dumas, yep. his story, you know, his four minute video, uh, you know, he was in the rat race, hated it. And then, uh, you know, transformed and found out what really made him come alive. Okay. And, uh, uh have a friend who wrote a book, uh, Pat Morley, it's called the man in the mirror, the 24 problems facing men. When my wife saw it, she says, is this the first of a trilogy? Because there's a lot more than 24 problems. Uh, but, but literally, he has this great quote. He says, when you're in the rat race, even if you win, you're still a rat. And, 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 and literally, that's the, you know, that's the reality of it. Everybody thinks that if they have a million dollars, two million, 10 million, I don't care what the number is, that that's going to bring happiness in, into their life. And, 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 and what I found is that... Uh, it actually creates a lot of disappointment if that's what they put their faith in, because when they get there, it is so empty. Uh, and, 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 and again, have been working with quite a few people in there. So what I look at is I take people through, again, the five Fs we do. I have an evaluation process. And, and when I talk about faith, I, I'm a Christian. That's what I believe. But I don't push my faith on other people. I help bring out, well, what do you believe and how does that impact the rest of the areas of your life. 
uh, when I go through family, you know, we go through and understand, okay, uh, the way I like to say it in my book is in some way, shape or form, we're all uh, dysfunctional adult, uh, uh, adult children of dysfunctional families. And so literally we'll try to understand how are you wired? What did you go through that made you the way you are? And then we sit down and look at, okay, what are the things that are robbing joy from your life? And what are the things that bring joy? And again, just goes back to that simplicity formula. People make it so complex, but here it is. Do less of the things that rob your joy and do more of the things that bring joy to your life. Profound. And, and, and it, it, no, it, 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 it is. And, and literally, you know, that's what I do. You know, you and I were talking beforehand. You work like a three-day work week and are living your dream. I work 10 hours a week. I could work 80 hours a week. I love doing what I'm doing, but I love being with my kids. I, I told you we're going to the Bahamas tomorrow with my wife for four days. Uh, we just had our seventh grandbaby. And to me, you know, what I learned that the most important things in life, Jeff, are the things that money can't buy your faith, your family, and your friends. And no matter how much money you have, if you sacrifice those things along the way, it's going to rob your joy and it's going to rob your fulfillment. So basically all I do, uh, in addition to helping people understand how to be the best and unlock that potential, usually it's taking out the roadblocks and understanding what's taking the joy from their life, what's preventing them from being the best that they can be. Uh, sometimes it's positive uh, affirmations, uh, but a lot of times too, it's like, uh, that's the other thing. When people work with me, my network and resources are, I have the best of the best of the best. If you need a psychotherapist and I got three people, you know, going to this person now, uh, he's the best there is. If you need a, a, a physical trainer, if you need uh, you know, the, 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 the doctor, I say, I actually rebranded him. He's a chiropractor, but I rebranded him into a, a synergy release physician. There's 65,000 chiropractors. There's only one synergy release physician. He's really good at what he does. He's also an injury consultant to the NFL. So literally what I do, what I do is I refer people to the best of the best. If I can't help them, uh, you know, with whatever their situation is, then I direct them to somebody who is the best in the industry. I just referred a client yesterday to the best nutritionist uh, in the Southeast. So, and I use all these things. My, my wife and I have a mantra, you know, we're both in our sixties, I'm 67 and we refuse to let old people move into our body. So we got to keep moving. We got to eat right. Uh, I try to do all the things I tell other people to do on my 67th birthday. I went and rode 70 miles on my bike. My butt still hurts from it. But, you know, I try to do push myself every year to do something. So, you know, that's typically what I do is, 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 is really get people to understand what's holding them back. And then, uh, you know, how the coaching process works. I either pat them on the back or kick them in the butt to get them going. And I think the big thing that really is the mitigating factor is the accountability. I, I really don't take crap. I make people follow through. If people don't do what I ask them to do, I just don't work with them. So again, I'm pretty selective with the people I work with, uh, but they're uh, kind of went through the due diligence. So I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to respond when I ask them to do the things that they need to do. And if they do that, They'll make more money, but more importantly, they'll make a difference at home, at work, and in the community and, and leave the world a better place than when it was. And I'm all about making money, but I'm even more in sync 
with helping make a difference. And with two of my clients, and I'll shut up in a second, two of my clients, we just launched two nonprofits, which literally one is about building the next generation of leaders. Uh, and the other one is about meeting felt needs and affordable housing in the Atlanta market. And, and I mean, I, it, they're just amazing. These are really successful commercial real estate people that are making money, but making a difference. And that to me is the recipe for success in life. So, so I'm going to let you in on a little hack that I have, because I feel like you'll appreciate this. Um, you said earlier that the people you surround yourself with either lift you up or drag you down. It's kind of no in between, right? And that you're right. in many ways a product of the people you know and the people you surround yourself with. So I started a podcast called Shareable and I bring amazing people on like you. And I get to talk to them. And I get to learn from them. And I get to learn from their mistakes and hear their stories. And it's stuff like that that I think is part and parcel of the reason why I've had increasingly better and better years throughout my career. It's because I get to surround myself with people who come on and are generous enough to share their time, their wisdom, their experience. So I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story, for being vulnerable, for being open, and for doing the work that you do in the way that you do it. Um, you know, a lot of the, uh, I get a lot of pitches for people to come on to the show. And if they're ever like, oh, I'm going to show people how to make more money and build wealth in this, and their whole thing is about money, I'm like, we're not going to be aligned. We're not going to resonate. But I know after, you know, having looked into you and now having spoken with you that we're on the same page. Let's, let's make money in what we do, but let's do it the right way. Let's try and make a difference. And I appreciate that, you know, bringing in the next generation of leaders. It's why I wrote the book. My book is for new leaders. And, um, and I want to do it so that we can create better work environments and we can have more purpose in, in what it is that we do. Uh, awesome. And anything around affordable housing and ending homelessness is the number one cause close to my heart. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, I want to end on one note. And I, I, I have a very good gut feeling that you're going to be all up for this. But um, the format of Shareable is going to be changing in 2022 to focus a lot more on leadership in uh, to coincide with the launch of my book. And there's a question I'm going to start asking at the end, and you're going to be the first person I ask this question to. So um, it's an exercise in gratitude. And what I'd like to do basically is ask you to just think for a moment when I say lovable leader or just a leader that you've had in your life that you appreciate, it could be traditional leader as in like a manager you've had. It could be a leader from, you know, somebody in your church. It could be somebody in sports. It could be anywhere, but a leader that you have felt cared for you, trusted you, and tried to it challenge you to be your best, but give you the safety to do it in the right way. I'd like you to just think of who that person is for a moment. And then I'm going to basically mute my mic. And I would like you to just, if you could thank them directly as if you're speaking directly to them, Thank them, acknowledge them, tell them what it meant for them to be that kind of leader in your life. <clears throat> Getting goosebumps. Um, Chuck, you're no longer with us here on earth, but I just want to tell you what an impact and an influence you have been on my life with the sage wisdom and advice you gave me for the short time uh, I was living out in Seattle. I am a better person, a better leader, a better husband. I actually think you saved our marriage at the time and helped me really understand what it meant to be a servant leader, uh, starting at home, then at work, and then in the community. Your legacy is going to live through me. 
with the values that you instilled and you will forever be in my heart. And I just want to thank you. Uh, and I hope one day uh, I'll see you an attorney. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for being vulnerable with that. Um, thank you for being the first to do that. It was, uh, I don't, I, I don't know if that's what you were looking for. That was exactly I, I just... <laughs> what I was looking for because I, I wrote my book first in response to every bad boss that I ever had. I said, I will yeah. never be like that. And I will never allow anyone else to be like that. And I want to find yeah. out what makes great leaders great. What makes them memorable? What makes them worthy of being thanked and appreciated and, yeah. and carried on as a legacy. And I feel like everybody has a story of a bad boss, at least one. And everybody has a story of someone that made them feel seen, that made them feel validated, that made them feel like they could do anything and that made them a better person. And that's why I want to end the show with that gratitude of actually directly thanking those people. And you, you indulging me in doing that, I really appreciate it. I appreciate that you took it seriously. And yeah. it's something that I really... I am just looking forward to seeing that time and time again, because I think we're going to see patterns emerge. And I think what we're going to see emerge is that this person cared about us. This person was someone that we could trust. And this person was somebody who challenged us to be better and create safety along the way to do it. So I appreciate you doing that. I want to pivot. Can I trust, to, yeah. Sorry, yeah, can I trust you? Can I trust you? Do you care about me? And are you committed to excellence? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, and, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So awesome. I want to thank you. Well, thank you. Go, yeah, go I want to I want to give you a chance at the end of the show here to just promote the hell out of yourself, uh, completely unabashed self promotion. Tell people where they can connect you, where they can hire you to speak, where they can invite you onto their podcast and have their own amazing conversation with you. Uh, I'm gonna mute myself again, give you the chance to just tell everyone where they can go and connect with you and uh, and see you leading the way. Great. Uh Honored to be a part of uh, Shareable today. Thank you, Jeff, for having me on. Uh, if you'd like more information or connect with me, uh, you can go to my website, stevecesari.com. That's S-T-E-B-E-C-E-S-A-R-I. Uh, my book, Clarity, is available on Amazon and Audible. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, I'll give you my email. It's steve at stevecesari.com. That's steve at stevecesari.com. Uh, I love helping people get unstuck and be the best version of themselves. And if there is something I could do to help you, please feel free to reach out. Uh, if I can't, I can direct you to somebody who can. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening. And uh, hopefully we'll connect in the not too distant future. Thank you, Jeff. All right, shareable listeners. This one's been one of those ones that you want to bookmark, you want to save, you want to go back through, you want to make notes on um, this one was special for me. Uh, Steve, you're, you're a brother from another mother in another time, but uh, I feel like we are kindred spirits and things. And I'm, I'm really glad to have been able to spend this time with you and to meet you and talk to you and hear about your stories. Uh, it, was, it was great for me. And um, because there was so much value packed into this, I think this is the sort of episode that in addition to bookmarking and taking notes on, I think this is the sort of episode that people should tell others about, which I guess if I had to describe it, then would make this episode shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy Shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. 
One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you could support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing. You see, Shareable is just one of many projects that I'm working on at any given time. I've got another podcast called Rogue. I do a live streaming show every week called The Heroic Council. I've got a blog where I release a blog post twice a week. And if you're looking to keep up with all sorts of different content that can help you grow and become a superhero in life, I want you to check out jeffgibber.me. That's where I list all of my current projects and projects that are coming up in the future, including my forthcoming book, The Lovable Leader. It would mean a lot to me if you could go and check out some of the other things I've worked on because I put just as much of my heart into those projects as I do into Shareable. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for being a supporter. And I hope to see you here on the next episode of Shareable.